This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I think there's honestly a sweet spot when it comes to market size. Um, so if you go and try to get started in a, in a crazy hot market, like a Miami, like a San Francisco, like a New York City, like a San Diego, or some of these massive markets, it's going to be much, much, much more difficult to get started, saturated, um, especially with you as a beginner, you have the right, uh, right uh, systems, infrastructure uh, to get started. So I recommend this kind of sweet spot market. So kind of in the middle, kind of like a Gainesville would be a great example. Uh, but then you don't want to go too small where it's like 500 people or it's a, it's a tiny town where houses don't sell. So kind of that sweet spot marketplace uh, market size is mm -hmm. where I've seen a lot of luck. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company, and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house-hacked, bird flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, BiggerPockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team. Listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing, welcome kit creation, listing advertising and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the forum, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What is up, guys? Today, we have a great episode with Victor Jurasek. He is based in Gainesville, Florida, and just has an awesome background flipping properties. He is an engineering college dropout, flipped his first rental at 18. Now he does about 20 fix and flips a year, and he's just growing and teaching other people how to do it. He's got a very straightforward, repeatable approach that we dig into step by step. I love these episodes because we literally just go through 
every part of the equation. And if you guys want to just copy it, you can, and you could start flipping or wholesaling tomorrow. He even includes his timeline for basically how long he thinks it should take from, let's say today, if you start to when you should have your first cash check in hand. So just really cool to hear kind of a step-by-step uh, of how he just hires people, how he runs his business, how he communicates with people, how he talks to sellers and uh, some very creative strategies in there as well. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. That's the main learning. Don't need to repeat it. Uh, today's tangible tip. If you order your Airbnb furniture, if you guys are buying any furniture, but specifically if you're furnishing an Airbnb unit, what I now highly recommend, I may have even said this before, sometimes I do that, but there are some that are just so important and like there are lessons that remind or pop up more than others. If you're buying furniture for an Airbnb, we really recommend buying it by sections of the house. So either all the bedrooms in one order, then the living room in another order, then maybe the kitchen in another order. That way, when you're doing inventory, it's much easier and cleaner to just track in Amazon or wherever you buy from. And if you have returns, you're not trying to sift through a massive order of 200 or 300 things potentially and find a needle in a haystack. Um, this just just an operational thing that we found when we had bigger orders, it was very hard to track things and very hard to return things or exchange things that we needed. And it led to just like overspending. And then there were times where we just couldn't even return stuff. Uh, I will say Amazon has been amazing though. There are times where they haven't even asked for us to send the thing back and they're willing to pay us back. So there are some items like that, but still um, then you have to worry about throwing it out or putting it to you. So if you don't want it, you don't actually need it, but uh, definitely just try to break out the inventory by room or section of the house if you can. And uh, that's today's tangible tip. Without any further ado, Victor Jurasek. All right, Victor, what is going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And just talking about your background a little bit before we hit record, uh, I feel like you're going to have a lot to, to talk about and a lot to bring to our audience of young real estate investors, yourself being 27, doing a lot of deals, a lot of flips a year, having rentals and having a good formula for adding more rentals through flipping. And also we'll get into your background, but just really resonated with what you said before about realizing that a corporate job or a W2 job was not for you and that you had to find a new path. So I think a lot of people listening to that or hearing that on this show might might uh, be feeling the same thing and maybe we could help them get out of that. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, could you just give a, a high level background on how you got into real estate and then also a high level overview of what you do today in real estate? Yeah, for sure. So happy to happy to tie it all together. So uh, my, my most immediate, my most previous job, I was in Chicago um, I was W-2, I was full-time. I was a home health administrator. So helped basically run the office. And then if you're not familiar with home health, it's basically like I would send out um, like nurses, um, caretakers, caregivers, whenever gets, someone gets discharged from the hospital, just to help them recover, help them, you know, older folks, help them um, get back on their feet, so to speak. Um, so that's what I was doing. Um, I realized quickly it wasn't for me. It was nothing like against the workplace. It was nothing against the company. It just like, this, this didn't really resonate with me. I didn't, uh, I didn't enjoy it. It was one of those things where I'd you know, talk to coworkers and their, their entire life would be lit up. They're like, this is amazing. I love doing this. Uh, I don't care that I'm not getting paid a lot. I really enjoy helping people. And not to say I didn't enjoy helping people, but I didn't have that massive, crazy, awesome spark where it just lit me up. And I'm like, I wanna do this no matter what. So I didn't have that same sort of effect. Um, on top of that, didn't feel like I was really getting ahead financially, which was, which wasn't fun. So I was kind of not, not paycheck to paycheck, but my like savings and my like retirement and all that stuff grew like extremely slow. Like I was maybe adding like 500 bucks a month to my, 
to my account. And I was like, oh, this is this is not, <laughs> not going anywhere. This isn't sustainable. Um, so on top of that, so I'd work full time and I do Uber on the weekends. It was Chicago. So like Friday night, Saturday night, sometimes Sunday, do some Uber just to get ahead um, financially. It's just like, hey, this isn't working. Um, thought, thought about real estate, got into real estate, made that transition from full-time to full-time real estate. Um, really, I got started wholesaling. My first two deals were wholesales. Then I got into flipping. Um, and I've just been doing flipping ever since. That's my primary exit strategy. Um, here now in Gainesville, Florida. I uh, did about 20 flips last year. The goal is 30 fix and flips this year. And uh, that's that's my background in a nutshell. Awesome. Okay, so there's a lot there to dig into. Um, first off, how... Actually, before we get into anything, can you just define the difference between how you see flipping and wholesaling? Yeah, for sure. So wholesaling to, to bring everyone up to speed is more like you put a, you find a deal, you find a seller, uh, you put it under contract, and then you essentially sell that contract to an investor. Um, but you never actually own the home, you just own the contract. So you basically have equitable interest in the property. So that's, that's more wholesaling. You don't actually own the house or own the property anytime. Um, so that's more wholesaling, fix and flipping, similar, uh, similar setup where you find a deal, but you actually purchase it. It's actually ownership in your name. Uh, you're the one, or you hire someone to do the renovation, then you sell it, um, for a profit. Um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's fix and flip or fix and flip. I guess the primary difference is like the actual ownership for fix and flip. You actually own it. Your, you know, names on the title and, um, you're actually doing work to it, uh, mm -hmm. is, is the main difference there. Okay. Awesome. So I'd love to just dig into how you actually got started because Great. there's a lot of listeners that are maybe wondering how to do their first wholesale or flip deal. So, I, I mean, regardless, uh, we talk about it a lot. I'm sure you do as well. The skill set to learn is deal finding. If you can get yes. good at finding deals, you have multiple exit strategies. doesn't matter if it's lease options, sub twos, wholesales, flips, wholesales, whatever it is, turnkey rentals. If you have deal flow and you have a skill set of finding off-market deals, you kind of make the rules so you can do a lot of different things. You could bring on partners, just, just so many different things you could do. So I would just love to dig into how you got started, but from that angle, a little bit more of deal finding. So if, if maybe you could talk to a lot of people have come on and, you know, hot button, some people have uh, good things to say about coaches and courses. Other people don't. Um, I personally am in the camp of, I have gotten coaching and course help and it's helped me a lot, but yeah. some people can just figure it out. So I'm curious for you making the step off the curb from corporate into this, how did you actually get started? What were like your first couple steps when you were looking to get into the business? Yeah, for sure. So, so luckily, uh, a friend of a friend, uh, I was able to connect with him and that's, uh, Chris Chico and he's well known in the space. He teaches like Facebook ads to get deals. And I wanted to miss, uh, meet Chico just because the, the idea of like, how do you get Facebook uh, deals? Like you run ads on Facebook and you get a deal and get a house deal. I'm like, whoa, this is insane. Uh, so connected with Chico. And at the time, so he was, he was still doing like one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, at that time, I was obviously still working with that healthcare company. Couldn't afford it. Um, so I think it was like three grand a month. And uh, I was just like, I, I can't do that even if I wanted to. So I was lucky though, where he, he was saying like, Hey, I just got rid of my cold caller and um, my cold caller just wasn't performing. So I need someone to fill this cold calling position. It's like a, a commission only sales position, but I can teach you, teach you the game or teach you how to get started. So I'm like, um, um, that's awesome. I'm in, let's do it. Um, I worked with him uh, about three months. We were in and doing cold calling in Miami. And unfortunately 
uh, we just didn't get a lot of traction. So I talked to people, found sellers, but even then this is 2018. So Miami was such a hot market. It was just so difficult to get a toe in on any, any of these deals. Um, so eventually split, you know, parted ways, but luckily I had a lot of time to learn uh, real estate in that, in that brief interim. Um, I started working on Gainesville and it, it was a night and day difference for like the, the success of the cold calling. So mm -hmm. that's a, that's a tip I'd love to impart on your, on your listeners. I think there's honestly a sweet spot when it comes to market size. Um, so if you go and try to get started in a, in a crazy hot market, like a Miami, like a San Francisco, like a New York city, like a San Diego, or some of these massive markets, it's going to be much, much, much more difficult to get started, saturated, um, especially with you as a beginner, you have the right, uh, right uh, systems, infrastructure uh, to get started. So I recommend this kind of sweet spot market. So kind of in the middle, kind of like a Gainesville would be a great example. Uh, but then you don't want to go too small where it's like 500 people or it's a, it's a tiny town where houses don't sell. So kind of that sweet spot marketplace uh, market size is mm -hmm. where I've seen a lot of luck. I love that you took I guess ego out of the equation and went to someone and said, I'll cold call for you. And mm -hmm. I will learn from you in return for doing that. Like it's been just such an important theme in my life of either paying to be around the right people, adding value to be around the right people, or just working for them for free and just seeing where things go. And it's amazing what you can learn in just one quarter by doing that. So can you maybe just talk to like, your, your mindset around that? Because I don't, I don't know, maybe there's someone listening to the show right now who's saying, I, I don't want to do that. I'm too good for that. Or I'm not going to cold call for someone, you know, like I can just figure it out myself. So uh, what, what would you say to that? Because I'm sure you learned a ton along the way. And maybe if you could add whatever you picked up from that experience. Yeah. And so I definitely learned a lot from that experience to say the least. Um, like I learned basically what wholesaling was. I didn't know what it was prior to that. Um, I also learned that I didn't really enjoy wholesaling. I like actually owning the property, taking it down myself um, and doing the renovation. So I, I found that out as well. Uh, I think the biggest thing is like, yes, you can do it on your own. Yes, you can have someone help you get started. I myself, I'm in the same camp as you where I really uh, would rather cut down the learning curve and get a mentor and get someone, a coach or get someone who knows what they're doing, even if it's a course, something just to, just to get started. Um, the thing is, so how I see it is like exponential curve. So for me, uh, luckily had the right mentors, right, you know, folks in place. First year did two flips, second year did eight flips, uh, last year did 20, now I want to do 30. And I wouldn't have been able to do that just on my own. Like maybe my first year would have done one and then two the next year, then three and then four. But the point is, like, I, I couldn't, wouldn't have grown that fast um, or launched up that fast without the right, uh, right help. So yes, you can do it on your own, but you want to ride that exponential curve ASAP because there's a lot of value in that, you know, looking at back where I'm at now, I'm glad I did everything that I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. So I would love to just hear what kind of happened next with actually getting your first two deals. Yeah. So basically switched markets, switched to Gainesville instead of Miami. And it was night and day difference with the cold calling. So the cold calling started to work like people, didn't hang up on me ASAP and they didn't want crazy prices for their properties and um, all that good stuff. So um, basically started talking to people, got my first two deals on our contract. Mm -hmm. My first wholesale deal made about 3000 assignment fee. Second one made about three and a half thousand. So, you know, just started to like, Hey, I'm finally making money, you know, four <laughs> months into it, five months into it. So um, it made that, made that transition. Um, what, 
and this is a personal preference for the wholesaling, didn't really like the wholesaling because it always felt like, okay, find a seller, negotiate, negotiate. Okay, cool. Now I got a deal. And it's like, okay, now I got to find cash buyers. Okay. And now they want a good deal. So they're going to negotiate, negotiate and kind of beat me up. And I'm stuck in the middle. I'm that middleman. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like, they would beat me up over like 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, these cash buyers. And then they would go on to make, if they were to flip it like 20 K, 30 K, 40 K. So I didn't really like that that was happening. Um, so I figured, Hey, I can take these deals down myself. And if I take these deals down myself, I can be the one making the 20, 30, 40 K. I'm pretty confident in my numbers. So I know that, um, if I buy it this, put it in this, sell for this, I'll make this much. So I'll mm-hmm. just take it down myself. A lot of people, they're they're not sure where to start. And they hear cold calling as a strategy. They hear texting, bring this voicemail, direct mail. You sounds like chose cold calling at the start. Not sure if it's still the same strategy you're doing today. But um, maybe if you could just take us back, like what list were you calling? Where did you get the list at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Were you calling yourself? And then kind of if you could walk us through the progression of, is that how you still do it today? Yeah, so I, I do still do it today. Uh, some things have changed, but um, yeah. So, um, so basically, what I did to get to get granular here. So, uh, got a list. Um, got a list. I like ListSource is the website. Let ListSource.com. Uh, that's who I like. And then when you get a list, you want to have some sort of you know, level of motivation. So, uh, examples of motivation: divorce. Uh, absentee owner, tax delinquent, uh, foreclosure. Like there's something going on in this person's life where if you offer them less for their property, they'd be willing to be you know, accepting that discount and just so they can move on and not deal with the property. So there has to be some sort of motivation there. You can't just offer you know, a happy homeowner um, you know, half price on their house and they'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take that. But Because uh, they can just go through different avenues. Um, so it has to be something going on in their life, some sort of motivation. Uh, code violation is a, is a different example. I can list motivation sources all day. Um, mm-hmm. But there's something going on where they, they want to move on the house. So I started calling absentee, calling absentee list. So got a list from list source. Um, it was an absentee list. Um, skip traced it. So basically when you get a list, it's like, okay, cool. These are all the addresses, property owner names. But it's like, okay, how do I get a hold of them? And that's what the process of skip tracing is basically. So skip tracing ties, phone numbers, emails, et cetera, to specific owners, um, just so you have it. So you know who to reach out to and you know, you know what numbers to call. So I use Skip Genie for skip tracing, really like them. I've tried out a ton of those different skip tracing companies. I recommend pay for quality um, just because, especially when I take down the deal myself, an extra you know, extra good number could lead to an extra good deal, which could be another 20, 30K you know, 40K in my pocket. So I'd much rather pay for that quality because even an extra deal per year um, pays off. So that's how I look at it from that perspective. Um, so it. yeah, got a list, skip traced it and then started calling. Um, I recommend a dialing system. Uh, trying to do it manually would just take forever, take ages. So um, the dialing system, I use Mojo. It's like a 150 bucks a month, hundred bucks a month, depending on what plan you get. And it's like an auto dialing system. So it has like three lines going, got, you know, it's not automatic, so you don't have to, you know, break your finger putting in the numbers. Um, so that's that's pretty tactical of what I just explained. So mm-hmm. now when I got started, it was just me doing the calling. So I'd just be calling these folks and spend some time calling them, and they'd pick up and say, "Hey, do you want to sell your house? Um, any interest in selling?" They may say, "Yeah, yes." May, may say no, then you just take it from there. Um, but it was it was me for the longest time. I'd spend well, like ten hours a week cold calling, and then 
uh, eventually got a deal just by the numbers of it. Okay. And just going down the path here, um, and it could be, you know, what you say now instead of then, cause I'm, I'm sure, well, you've definitely gotten better at what you do and your pitch and just with experience. So is it as simple as just the more people you touch and you just say the script too, or do you really feel like it's a matter of like getting better at saying the right words? Cause some people like, like a, a service that we use, they were, they were saying <clears throat> it's all about quantity forget the quality, just buy a huge list and we're going to call as many as we can. We're going to ask the question and then we're going to get leads. But then some people are more in the camp of get very specific and find certain lists that people have distress and build relationships. And it's a much more tailored approach, takes time in a different way. The other list takes time. They both take time, but it's just different uses of time. It's kind of almost like the analogy, would you rather make a hundred calls to unqualified leads or five to qualified potential leads? or more distressed leads. So I'd just be curious how you kind of view pulling lists or, or like using the time to call and then what you say on those calls. Yeah, sure. No, that's, that's interesting that people come from those two camps because I've heard both camps too. I've heard of like, hey, get a list of 10,000 and, you know, you know, call all day. And I've heard the list of like, get, get 100 people, um, but you know that they're good. So it's, it's definitely a toss up. I'm probably somewhere in the middle, honestly. So um, it matters like what you say and it matters how you say it is the biggest thing. So especially with cold calling, like tonality, having coming across in that kind of friendly tone, like you're giving someone a call that you're a friend with um, is super important. I've, I kind of split tested this myself on doing the calls because I had plenty, plenty of time to practice this. And on days where I was feeling like down, out of energy, um, you know, wasn't feeling up to the cold calling, I'd get worse results on days where I was like friendly, jovial, um, that sort of thing. I'd get more results, better leads, and that sort of thing. So like how you come across also matters a ton. Um, just like that friendly tone, like when you're calling them, and I know a lot of people can relate to this, being on the other end of like a telemarketing call, uh, like the folks who sound um, like, uh, not, not tone dead, but um, they don't sound excited. Monotone. Monotone, yeah, exactly. The folks who sound monotone, like you hang up much quicker, but the folks who have a little bit of energy, um, like you listen a little bit longer or you're a little more interested. Um, so that's that's how I would recommend coming across. Mm -hmm. For my and, first list. Oh yeah, um, go ahead. Because I'm in the middle. My first list, I think it was like 2,000, 3,000 people on the list. Um, so there was a numbers game aspect of it. I'd say uh, one out of five people I talked to were interested in selling their property. Uh, and that's a lead. That, that's one lead. Um, and then something one out of 15 of those, like, yes, I'm interested in selling one of those 15 leads became a deal. So that was the rough numbers of, of me doing it. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess just going further down this path here, some people, um, are more advocates of outsourcing the first round of cold calling. So like pull the list, you have a lot of leads and then have someone call and then a second person who maybe is a little bit more um, savvy or a little bit more sophisticated in closing and selling then takes the lead to the close. Um, curious, how do you do that in your business? Are you calling all the leads still yourself? Are you getting help on the first touches and then with follow-up? What, what does that look like for you? Yeah, for sure. So let's, let's talk about like the evolution and progression. So to, to start out, I highly recommend like doing at least the first five to 10 hours of cold calling yourself just so you know what it feels like, just so you know what to expect, just so you know what like common objections are and like what's what's a standard baseline of performance. And then it makes sense to start hiring people and managing people, you know, others to, to do it. 
Um, and the, the principle behind this is you need to know what to accept and you need to know what like performance looks like. So if you've never done it yourself and you hire someone, well, how do you know if they're doing a good job? How do you know if they're doing a bad job? How do you know if they're messing something up and that's causing issues in terms of performance? Um, you don't know. So this is more like a management leadership principle. So you're gonna have like a, a baseline level of understanding, knowledge, functionality. You don't have to be the best, but you just have to better understand like how to how to do it just so you know how to manage it. Um, so you don't get you know, messed over where you, let's say you hire a bad cold caller and they're not doing a good job and they're not following the script and they're, they're messing up. Well, you wouldn't know that just because you don't know, you know, what to look out for, what not to look out for. So that's what I recommend there. So like the transition is um, do it yourself five to 10 hours. Um, if you have the budget, then you can start to hire it out um, in terms of a cold caller. I recommend paying for quality again. You'll see that's, that's a theme with how I do things. So um, a lot of people think they can like cheap out, like, oh, I found someone who'll do it for $3 an hour. This is awesome. Um, I've found those people get a lot less quality. Those get, people get less leads. And uh, I've seen the best success hiring folks, you know, 15 an hour to do those calls, um, more local, you know, uh, higher quality uh, conversations. You get more leads. And especially when it comes to these deals, like one extra lead, again, could be, you know, um, a 20, 30K, 40K deal. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I recommend there. So that was my progression. So me doing it, um, hiring it out, which is where I'm at now. Um, now when the leads come in, I'm handling it and I'm soon going to be hiring like an acquisitions manager to, to handle the leads. And he does the selling, he, he or she does the negotiation. He or you know, she puts it in our contract. So that's kind of mm -hmm. where I'm at. Yeah, very cool. And I guess for, for the people that are listening to this and they're thinking, all right, I can, I can start and I'll, I'll pull some lists from the source and I can skip trace them with many different skip tracing tools. And then it's funny. Cause you know, I think a lot of people they are like, I just need the list. And then mm -hmm. if they had the list in their hand, they're like, well, I just don't want to make the calls. So it's like, then I just need the cold caller. So like, again, to, to Victor's point here, touching the leads yourself to start out is so important. I mean, we've all been there. It's easier said than done. I mean, cold calling is not easy work, but at least at the beginning, it's very helpful to get kind of an understanding of what the conversations are like. And basically then you could also sympathize or empathize with your cold caller if you do outsource it, because I think a lot of people, they just give it off to someone, a cold call for them. They're like, this person stinks. They can't get a meeting. Well, it's not that easy. Like it does take weeks and it does take lots of calling. And sure, you might catch someone at the perfect time. It does happen. But for the most part, like it's, it's not always like that. So I guess it kind of leads to my other question. Then I would love to talk more about like the progression of a lead, how it works through your right. system. Yeah. But um, like, let's say someone starts doing this today. And I know there's always an outlier that someone can get a deal tomorrow, but for even your students or people that kind of you work with, if someone were to start tomorrow and start fairly aggressively, what do you see as kind of average times to get a lead? And I only say that because I just don't want people to have a misexpectation of thinking it's too quick or too long and then they quit or don't even get started. So just curious to hear, how long do you think on average, if someone put an honest effort into this starting like tomorrow, that it would take for them to either get a flip lead or a wholesale you know, assignment fee uh -huh. and uh, be able to make some money? Yeah. So to, I'd say like, give yourself two weeks to get ramped up, like practice a script, you know, iron out any bugs, iron out any, uh, any wrinkles in your process, just get a little more confident on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, if let's say you're doing it yourself and then, uh, typically for me on average, it's like one lead an hour. So for every hour of cold calling, 
on average, and it depends on the list, depends on the market, uh, depends on all that stuff. But on average, about one lead an hour um, mm -hmm. is typically how it how it shakes out. Um, and again, it's one out of 15 leads becomes a deal. Um, with cold calling, they're, I don't want to say they're less motivated, but it's less of an urgent thing. Um, this is more like an outbound marketing. So you got to be a little more uh, more refined in your follow-up. So like, let's say you get a, a lead today and for the typical cold calling, it's going to take about an average of a month to get under contract. Um, so it's not like call them today. Okay. Sign the contract today, you know, write it sign, ready to close next week and give you a check. Um, that's happened, but I'm just saying on average, it typically takes about a month um, on average of follow-up and like talking to them, et cetera, to, to get it under contract and you know, give yourself some time, two weeks or so to, to close it. So mm -hmm. if you start cold calling today, on average, give yourself a month or two to actually start getting checks that you can cash at the bank. And you bring up a great point that I think uh, gets glazed over a lot of times, or like, I guess the detail on it isn't really fleshed out, which is follow-up. It's, mm. it's often talked about, but at the end of the day, these are not going to be first closed calls. I mean, right. I, I've been in sales for six years and a lot of people listening to this are in sales. And depending on what you're in, maybe you can close a deal on a first call. I'd say it's very rare in any sales industry, but very rare in this. I mean, this is a stranger calling you about buying your house that you don't even know, you know, like there's no social proof. There's no nothing. So follow-up is so important. Obviously I would love to hear how you ensure if it's through tactics, software, strategy to make sure that leads are not slipping through the cracks after they come into the pipeline. So I guess maybe like if you could go through a scenario of what a typical lead coming into the pipeline is, I assume for the most part, it's not like you're not doing any marketing where they could call you. It's mostly you calling them just confirming. Uh, I mean, there's different types of marketing I'm doing, but that's um, with the cold call. We can focus on the cold calling for sure. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what other avenues you're doing, but okay. Let's just, I guess, down the cold call path for now. Then we okay. could, I would love to hear about others, but let's say you do get a cold call lead. You call someone and they say, yeah, I, I think I'd, I, well, I mean, actually let's hear how you would, I'd love to hear how you'd handle oh, this okay. or answer it. If they're like, make me an offer. I do have motivation. Like I need to get out of here, but uh, yeah, just make me an offer. Okay. What would, I guess you could say how you would respond, but then also what would be your follow-up sequence with that person just to make sure that there is sounds like some level of motivation, but maybe not right now. It might not be the highest, but how would you ensure that it wouldn't slip through or that on that first conversation, you'd make sure that you have something to tie off with them on? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. So let's talk more like negotiation first. Like how do you handle uh, someone and how do you talk to them? How do you present an offer? I typically follow uh, Chris Voss's book, his book on negotiation. That's my favorite one. I've mm -hmm. seen the most success there. Um, so in a rough format, um, you start basically like you start with a low offer and then you kind of work your way up and, and tie to it and um, you know, kind of work, work in that way. Um, how I like to do it negotiation specifically, uh, like your first offer is going to be like a clean number, so to speak, ending in zeros. So let's say your first offer is 50,000. Um, so that's like your first offer. So they're going to go back and forth like, no, 50,000 is way too low. I can't, I can't do that. Um, and then your next offer, it's how I like to think of it. It's like a tennis match. So like it goes back and forth. So like you go, you throw out an offer, um, then they throw out an offer and then you throw out an offer and then they throw out an offer. Um, so that's how I like to think about it. So you kind of go back and forth until you find a, a common ground, if you can find one. 
Mm. Uh, so your first offer ending in all zeros. So let's say 50,000 for easy numbers. Um, then your next round, let's say it's your turn to go, um, is going to be um, like 55,500. So over time, you're getting a little more specific. So what they're thinking, maybe consciously or unconsciously, oh, wait a second. Uh, I don't know how much more room he has if he's getting more and more specific. So um, then, you know, there's more, more back and forth. Uh, then for your third, for your third offer and potentially final offer, you're going to get a very specific number. So it's going to be like 57,357. And then they're going to be thinking to themselves um, either out loud or to themselves, like, wait a second, this is, he's down to the dollar. He's done his math. I don't know if I can get him for any more. So either I can, you know, work with that number, that very specific number, or this isn't a deal. Um, and heaven forbid it goes, you know, back and forth with another volley of, you know, going back and forth. You can always say like uh, $57,357 and I'll give you a, a Starbucks gift card for a hundred bucks. And then they really know like this guy, this guy's, you know, scrambling. This is all he can, you know, all he can come up with. I've really gotten the last penny out of him, um, you know, really last dollar out of him. So, you know, you'll go from there, but that's just a rough framework for, for negotiating where you start out with like uh, an even number, 50,000, then they know like, Hey, 50,000, I can, you know, get more out of him. Then you go 55,500 and then, you know, 57,357. I don't remember if that was the numbers I used in the example, but it's that rough, rough framework where you get more specific over time. Um, yep. So That's they don't cool. feel like you, they've left anything on the table. Like you mm -hmm. feel, they feel like I've squeezed every drop of juice out of this guy. So, yep. That's really cool. Uh, we love Chris Voss and uh, Never Split the Difference. Such a good book. If anyone hasn't heard it or seen it, even just um, an amazing interview he has with Lewis Howes. That's my first kind of experience with him, but mm -hmm. such, such a good book, such a good uh, concept. So, okay. So let's say you, you know, on that first call, you get into range, actually, sorry, just going one step back here. We probably uh, should have um, said this before because, well, okay. Take that back. You, you might not have it at the time. I was going to say, knowing what an ARV is on this property. I, I don't know if you have a way that um, you can pull it up while you're on the phone with that person to get within range, or you need to call them back after you do some research. But since this Absolutely. is a typical potential first call, a hypothetical first call, I, I feel like some people would say, oh, I, I can't get an ARV established by the time I'm on the conversation with the first call. Do you agree with that? Would you be able to get one while you're on that first call? Or would you call back and then, you know, say, hey, we're going to make you an offer when we get that, when, when we get that information? I like to do like a two two phase approach. So one on the first call, like you're just gathering information, getting to know them. If you can have them put put out their number, um, like yes, it makes sense. Uh, like try to get a number out of them. Like, hey, what are you looking to get out of this property? What do you want to sell this property for? Uh, if they're unwilling to to share, I mean that's fine as well. We can you can work with that. But um, ideally, you want them to start with regards to negotiations, throwing out a number. Um, it's happened to me in the past where they throw out a number and it's like right off the bat, like, Hey, this is a deal. Holy moly. This is a deal. Um, <laughs> you know, like I would never think they would have started that low, but then they start that low and you're like, Oh, okay, great. So we got some, you know, we got a party going basically. Um, so how I like to do it again, uh, it's a two tiered approach. So on the first call, you're just building rapport. You're just getting to know them again. This is a cold call. So like, who is this person? What, what the hell's going on? Why do they want to buy my house? So um, you just get to know them, gather information. What's the condition of the property? When are you looking to sell? Why are you looking to sell that quick? Um, and then uh, I typically set up like a follow-up call. And then in between those calls, typically it's like the next day. And um, 
and then typically in between that, you can do more research on the property, ARV, you know, what would repairs cost? What do I need to be at? Um, for that first call, you just want to build rapport, get to know them, build a nice relationship. You don't want to be like unfocused, like you're looking up comps real quick, or like you can't really focus on them, listen to what they're saying, just because your mind is scattered trying to put together some numbers. Mm. Um, so the first call, um, just gather information. Second call is when you present the offer. That's typically the next day is how I do it. And part of it is because it is cold calling, they don't know who you are. So if you split it up in that way, and I've, I've tested this out where it's a lot more successful this way, uh, mm -hmm. when you split it out that way, then like there's a little more trust. So the second time you call like, oh, hey, Victor, or, hey, hey, Jonathan, how you doing? Uh, like they already know you. So you're not a stranger you know, throwing a number at them to buy a house. Um, so that, that's how I do it. So is that two tiered, you know, one, two punch is what I call it. That's awesome. Okay. That's really cool. So just again, for anyone that's under, like not sure what we mean here, basically it's hard to negotiate in some cases without a base level context. And in this case, knowing what their property is worth is helpful, but there is information you can gather before going into any sort of negotiation where you're just fact finding and then you're vetting. So that's really good. Um, I guess, okay, so just we were talking about before kind of going through like the progress of a lead or the process of a lead. So yeah. now let's say you kind of did your fact finding and they say, all right, well, let's let's stay in touch, okay? And now I guess this still could be kind of like a tie off of the negotiation, but um, kind of back to the concept of how do you make sure that leads aren't slipping through the cracks and that they're either being drip followed up with, you're following up with, whatever the, the protocol would be. I would just love to hear how you handle that. For sure. So when I got started out, um, I would use like a, like a notepad to write everyone's names down and their phone number. And that proved <laughs> ineffective because I'd be getting leads and leads and I'm like, oh, where did I lose that piece of paper? So that didn't work out. And then I progressed to like an Excel spreadsheet. It's so mm -hmm. like their name, phone number, all that stuff. And I had like color coded, like when should I call them or like when should I call them? And then that at a certain level broke as well, just because... Um, like it slipped through, like if I was supposed to call them today, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I have to look, you know, search through the list every time through Excel. So then progress from that, uh, probably for your listeners, unless they start to get to huge volumes, um, I just use HubSpot, um, HubSpot's a free CRM. Um, I know there's other paid CRMs. I've looked into those. Those are like, you know, 50 bucks, hundred bucks, 200 bucks a month. Uh, when you're getting started, I'd recommend a free CRM, just like HubSpot. Um, and you can like create activities, create follow-ups just, and it gives you alert when things you have to finish specifically or do specifically. Mm -hmm. um, again, when you're more like, if you're doing, I don't know, two, five, 10 deals a month, like it makes sense to be more robust and get something that has like more automation and all that cool stuff. But when you're getting started out, like something free, I want you to spend all your you know dollars on marketing, not on fancy CRM. So that's what I use. And then I, you know, create some follow-up systems in there. Um, pretty straightforward, just do it manually. For me, on average, it takes something like 10 touches of follow-up to get a deal. Um, mm. A touch is a, a voicemail left, a phone call, a text, maybe an email, maybe if it's an in-person visit. So on average, it takes 10 touches. So just to go back to your point, it's it happens where sometimes it's a deal on the first call. It's a deal right off the bat. Um, more often than not, it does take those 10 touches of follow-up. You said 10 touches. And we, I think both agree the follow-up is so important. I guess this is the last question and just tying this all together. How do you follow up 10 times without being annoying? Because I think a lot of people would hear that and say, that is tough to do. So how would you follow up 10 times without bothering someone and continuing to build rapport? Right. No, I'm glad you asked this question because you touched on it earlier and I didn't answer it. 
Uh, I just forgot to answer it. So this is, this is fantastic. So um, how I look at it, so everything that ties us together is just like we're doing. So I can tell you how to do all these things. I can give you all the softwares, give you, you know, like explain it set, you know, step by step. But if you don't have the right, like my mental framework to think through this, then um, it's not going to be, you might not just do it or you might not just, um, you know, you just might not execute on it properly or consistently. So I think the, the biggest mindset, and I heard this from uh, Greg Helbeck, so shout out to him. Um, but um, when you're approaching these people, you have to come from the right, like a mental basis. So it's not like, hey, I'm trying to buy this house cheap and make a dollar and make a profit. It's more, I want to help this person and in the, uh, you know, in the process, create a win-win where I'm, I'm winning as well. So it's having that basis, like I'm a, I'm a professional problem solver, as Greg would put it. Um, so if you're, you're solving their problem. So if you are just trying to make a buck, it makes sense where like, oh, I'd follow up once or twice. But if you're like truly trying to help them, and a lot of people have unfortunate circumstances, which is why they're so motivated. Maybe they have a vacant house and it's really in bad condition and they're going through divorce. They just want to be through with it. Then it almost becomes like an automatic thing. Like, of course, I'm going to help them. Um, of course, I'm going to try to, to make this work. I'll keep following up because I know they're in this situation. Um, maybe they're just not getting back to me because they've got something going on in their life. Obviously, I've got the divorce going on in that example. But then it becomes a no-brainer to keep following up because you you care about this person. You want the best for them. And you got to have that mindset of like, yes, I'm, I'm the best solution for them. If I can buy this property, I can solve this problem. I can uh, do what's best for them. And you know, doing what's best for them is helping them get rid of this property um, getting it onto my hands or getting into um, getting me on the title. So, so that's how I look at it. So like the very basis and the very core, a very foundation that underpins all this, like you're, you gotta be helping these people out. Um, if you're just trying to like steal the deal and, and beat them up and, you know, hurt them, um, you'll, you probably won't uh, be in this for long, but if you are truly coming from the basis of like, I am making this person's life better, richer, happier, um, less stress-free, because I'm, you know, helping them sell this property or buying this property for them. Um, that's what's going to tie all this together. Victor, I feel like we could go on for a long time because there's so many parts of this and you've got a great way of explaining it. Um, just for the sake of time, what is the best way for people to get in touch, get connected, follow you on social media, all that? For sure. So I, um, I also like mentor people how to get started. I do that nationwide. Um, I flip locally in my county, but I still help folks nationwide get started, how to get your first deal, how to get the funding, uh, how to run your numbers, everything you can think of A to Z. Um, if folks want to reach out, I am on Facebook. Want to look up my name, Victor Yurchek. I also have a free Facebook group, Six Figure House Flippers. So look up that. Um, there's a lot of great content. And if you want to be mentored by me, feel free to reach out. If you don't want to be mentored by me, totally fine. There's a lot of ton. There's a ton of great free stuff in there, like how to fix and flip some of the projects I'm working on, all that good stuff. So it's a lot, a lot of value there, but six figure house flipper uh, is the best way to, to reach me in that Facebook group. Awesome. Victor, just want to say thank you for coming on, man. Um, so much good knowledge. Anyone that is, that is looking to start wholesaling can do it basically right after listening to this episode. So just great stuff. And uh, thank you for coming on. Best of luck in 2020 and beyond. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, 
Send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 